I want to invite you to, to open up to John 15. We'll kind of jump right into things this morning. Um, we have a lot to talk about. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you caught a little bit of a theme of the worship, but because I knew where we were going, I was certainly in tune with it. And uh, as we talk about the Holy Spirit, there's so much there. And I kind of promised you a little while ago that as we talked about the Holy Spirit, uh, that I was going to hit it several weeks, uh, not in a row, but just over the course of weeks, I would keep coming back to it. And it would be, I used the illustration of a coat of paint, that we would have one coat, and then a second coat would come and kind of fill in the gaps where that one left off. And I'm doing that because that's exactly what the text does. And if you were to go home today and decide, I'm going to do a study on the Holy Spirit, and I want to start grabbing all the passages, all the key relevant passages, what you would discover is a lot of the discussion of the Holy Spirit, some of the very foundational central truths are found right here in this discussion Jesus is having with his disciples. And so we're kind of right in the, in the thick of it. I want to read for you, uh, this isn't our passage from this week, but I want to, I want to keep this conversation um, in the flow of how Jesus did it. He didn't, he didn't say a, a section, and then all the disciples went and did their own thing for a week, and then he brought them back together and said, okay, let's talk some more. He was talking to them around a meal. So it's good to go back. For us, it's several weeks, but it's good to go back and remember some other things he said. Just look in, in your Bibles with me, if you will, in John chapter 14 for a moment. This was several weeks ago. But he said this, he said, uh, verse 16 of chapter 14, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you. We talked about the fact that Jesus is the first counselor. And another counselor would be this Holy Spirit. He will be with you forever, he says, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. So that's an important thing to remember. A part of what we talked about there um, was the fact that he would be with us forever and that the Holy Spirit of God was actually going to come and dwell in us, was going to set up residence in us. Just kind of by way of review, remember me bringing Riley up here, uh, Mark and Colleen's uh, daughter, and I, I brought little Riley up here. How old is Riley? Three. She's three. I asked Riley to describe Santa Clara for me. And so I said, tell me everything you know about Santa Clara. She didn't do the best job by an adult standards, right? And the, the point of that was that us trying to describe me, puny me, Trying to describe the Holy Spirit of God is like asking a three-year-old to tell you all about Santa Clara. It's a limited perspective. So as we talk about the Holy Spirit today, I want to just bring these three points up. These were talked about a couple weeks ago. But one is just, can we have some humility in this discussion? I will try to display humility in this. I feel humble about this. So if I'm not portraying it that way, you come talk to me. I'll let you know uh, really what's going on. The second thing we talked about is that the Holy Spirit is a he and not an it. The idea that he's not a, he's not a force to be harnessed in our life, somehow an impersonal uh, element of the universe out there, but rather he is a person to follow. And in just a couple of weeks, we're going to hear this. The spirit of truth will guide you into all truth. So he's, he's a person to follow. And we watch in the early church how they follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and it's powerful to see. Finally, when Jesus is talking about this, 
You hear him talk about the Father and the Son and the Spirit and the Spirit and the Father and the Son and the Son and the Spirit and the Father. And you get this sense that he has trouble in language separating them. And the reason is they're not separate. It's the triune God. It's, it's one God in three persons. And if that starts to make your brain hurt, join the club. Isn't it great we have a God that we cannot put parameters around and figure everything out about? Otherwise, he wouldn't be any, in any better shape than us uh, in terms of figuring things out. So let's just start with those kinds of things. This week, what we're going to talk about is, and, and see from the scriptures is we're going to get some insight into the role that the Holy Spirit plays within the Trinity. Each of them have distinct roles and purposes. And also the role that the Trinity plays just in our lives. Um, just like we should do with Scripture, we ought to live our lives in this way. When you're in church and you feel like you receive a word from the Lord, something is said from the front, a line is sung in a song, someone says something to you out getting coffee, and you just go, man, I feel like the Lord was speaking right through that person to me. You ought to receive those words. You ought to open your Bible, and when you read it, you ought to read it in context of the circumstances that your life is, is going on right now. What are the circumstances? What's happening in your life right now? As we look at Scripture, we need, to, we need to interpret what Jesus is saying in light of the circumstances and the current events that are going on. That gives us indication of what he's even talking about. What's the context? The context is this. In a few moments, literally within hours of this conversation, a mock trial, a farce of a trial is going to be thrown together. They're going to hurl insults at Jesus. They're going to drum up fake charges. Ultimately, they're going to put him to death. That's where we're at in the story of the life of Jesus Christ, who walked around Nazareth. So it's in the, it's in the context of the current events of hatred, persecution, false charges, all of that. So as we read this, we need to keep that in mind. He's promising coming persecution and hatred to his disciples. Now, you and I have the benefit of history. History says we get to know the end of the story and kind of look back and see where things went from there. Let me give you just a very brief. I actually had a, a really moving time this week just studying about persecution and Christians, and they're almost synonymous Here's some things that went on. Jesus was about to be put to death. The early church was so persecuted that many of them, they had to flee. That's actually how the gospel began to spread. As they were so persecuted and, and chased out of their homes that the gospel just went with them wherever they went. And that's part of how God used it to spread the gospel. Uh, I, I have a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. You've got to get that book and begin to look at some of the lives that counted and mattered. Um, and some of the lives that, as, as Hebrews talks about, this world is not worthy of them. The, the way that they carried themselves, the way that they so lived for another kingdom. I came across the story of John Huss, who lived in the 13th century. He was a Christian leader. And under threat of being burned at the stake, he was asked to recant. And here's what he said. He said, what I taught with my lips, I now seal with my blood. And as his body was engulfed in flames, he was smiling and singing a hymn of praise to God. Maybe that doesn't move you. I'm, I'm moved by old dead people. I don't know why. God's just wired me that way, and that moves me. Let's say that the 13th century seems way too far removed from you, and you say, well, that doesn't happen anymore. Let's move on. How about today? By all estimations, and I gathered from Christian resources, I gathered from the New York Times, by every estimation out there, 
And these are conservative estimates. More Christians have died this century simply for being a Christian, not doing anything even heroic or leading mass charges, simply for being a a, a Christian. More Christians have died in the last hundred years than all the first 19 centuries combined. Add everyone who's died for their faith. We call them martyrs. And remember from the Greek, that word actually means witness. Take all 19 centuries leading up to this last century, all those deaths, they don't equal how many have been killed just in the last 100 years. If that still seems too irrelevant to you, let me direct your attention at some point to Voice of the Martyrs. Google Voice of the Martyrs. There's a website where it talks about these kinds of things. This month, I read the stories from three different countries of brothers and sisters of of ours in Christ who are being beaten, persecuted, uh, sent to labor camps, given mind-altering drugs so that they will recant the name of Christ, and being killed for their faith. This month, you can just start counting back. Today, it would be a well-spent time as we remember with Memorial Day the freedoms we enjoy and the persecutions and the suffering that have gone on in that realm, to remember your brothers and sisters in Christ who today, under threat of death, are meeting in holes in the ground so they can worship their Lord and Savior. Who today are valuing that life as more important than this life. Suffering is coming. It has been a hallmark of Christianity from the day it began. It's just synonymous with it. It's part of it. So we know that Jesus' words come true. We're going to see that. Here's where I'm going this morning. I'm going to show you a couple of things from the Scripture, and then I want to illustrate this passage of Scripture by just fast-forwarding a little bit to an account in Acts. Okay? Just very, very shortly after Jesus rose and went back to heaven, the church is born. And these things that Jesus said are going to come to life right before our very eyes. And then um, a a testimony from someone in this room where you're going to get to see a biblical example of this coming true and just a real personal example of this coming true. As we read this passage in just a second, I want you to watch for these two things. Jesus warned them and he encouraged them. Jesus warned them that it was coming, that these things are coming. These things are persecution, hatred, hostility, mocking, insults, and on and on it goes. But he also encouraged them that that they would not face this hostility alone. And that's the promise of the Holy Spirit. This is the third promise of the Holy Spirit uh, that we're going to receive here. John uh, chapter 15, we're picking up the last two verses of 15 and going into 16. It says this. When the counselor comes, counselor in your Bible is capitalized, It may be translated to advocate or helper, but that's referring to the Holy Spirit. When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. Let me say a word of prayer and then we'll move on. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here to illuminate and enlighten the word. 
that um, under your inspiration, John penned uh, almost 2,000 years ago. And God, we just pray that right now as we read this, as we study this, as we think on this and meditate on this, that you would have freedom to, to move in our midst, that you would give us, um, even though we come from many different kinds of weeks that have gone on, from uh, deaths in the family to births in the family, Lord, that you would meet us right here in our midst, in our need, and that we would receive from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This promise of the Holy Spirit, again, I said that Jesus is promising him now for the third time. And that's, again, a very uh, near Middle East kind of thing to do, is to have a cyclical kind of argument and a cyclical kind of discussion where you keep hitting on things and coming back to them. Uh, this would be fulfilled when, there, when there's a, a, a new early church. And Jesus said, remember, he said, watch and pray. So there's 120 of them in this upper room, and they're watching and praying. They're just obeying the last words Jesus told them to do. And all of a sudden, fire falls on them. It's the Holy Spirit. And this promise that the Holy Spirit would be with you forever. And in fact, he'll actually live in you. That prophecy is fulfilled. In just a short period of time later, and we call it the day of Pentecost. And really, that's the moment we all kind of look back to as the birth of the New Testament church. And from that point on, things really begin to change. I want you to catch in this scripture this idea that there is an, there is an our part to, to what we're being instructed to do. And then there's the Holy Spirit's part. And one of the most basic things you can learn as a disciple of Jesus is that is that you have a role, you have a mission to be on. There's a part of your growth that goes on. Is there any part of your justification you're getting saved? No, that's all on God's part. But God has a part, and you have a part. And it's really important that we understand our part, and it's really important that we not mess with trying to do God's part of things. Let me just point out a couple of things, just starting in John 15, that is our part, okay? Our part is this, abide in me. Remember that? A part of our role in this whole deal is that we abide, that we remain. He says elsewhere in that same chapter, remain in God's love. Another thing we're to do is to obey. The next week we talked about this command. I command you, love one another. Guess what? That's on you. That's on me. We pray in our households sometimes, God, help us to do the hard work of getting along right now. Because we're not doing it. We need your help. We know you're here. But it's on us to love one another. It's also on us to suffer well. We could go on and on. We could say it's on us not to go astray. He's warning us of this so we won't be ensnared and go astray. It's on us to stick with it. But then it's on us to testify. Did you catch that? The Holy Spirit's going to testify. You also testify. Let me say some things that the Holy Spirit's part is. The Holy Spirit's part is that he's going to be the helper. The Holy Spirit's part is that he will live in us. The Holy Spirit's part is that he will never, ever leave you. The Holy Spirit's part is that he will be the counselor. Later on, we're going to hear the Holy Spirit's part is he'll call to remembrance things to say. The Holy Spirit's part is to guide you into all truth. He's the leader. The Holy Spirit's part is to keep you from stumbling. But also from this passage in verse 26, John 15, 26, the Holy Spirit's part is to testify about Jesus. Did you catch the part that both the Holy Spirit and we do together? It's to testify. 
That's what I want to talk to you about today. How does the Spirit help? He's called our helper. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the fact that he guides, he comforts, and he confirms. One of the great ministries of the Holy Spirit of God is that he testifies. He bears witness. And here's what I want to show you why this is so important. It's so important because of what he's testifying to. What is he bearing witness to? Here it is. Number one is he's bearing witness to our adoption into God's family. Romans 8.16 says this, The Spirit himself, remember it's not the Spirit itself, the force in its own way, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. 1 John 3.24, Those who obey his commands and live in him and he in them, and this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave us. In Galatians 4, 6, because you are sons, God sent his spirit, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Here's why I'm bringing all these verses to mind, is that the Holy Spirit of God bears witness to our own spirits and testifies that we are saved and testifies that we're in God's family. I want to illustrate that with my daughter for a moment. There's a certain result that comes from knowing that you're in God's family. When you know that you're in God's family, here's the result. You can stop investing and stop pouring tons of energy inward. Am I saved? Am I on the right track? God, are you my father? God, did you really die for me? God, is there really a hope or is this all there is? God, me, 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 me. Do I belong? Who am I? What am I all about? Common denominator there, me, I. All this energy goes inward. When you're confident about being in the family of God, you know what it does? It frees you up to share. It frees you up to take your energy and and turn it outward. Cassie, periodically, I have an adopted daughter who's three years old. She joined our family one year ago. And Cassie, periodically, we've had four other kids go through twos and threes. We kind of know the drill a little bit. Cassie, once in a while, has these meltdowns that are super emotional, unlike things that we've seen in the past. And she will just wake up sometimes. She'll be doing great sometimes and just fall into this kind of emotional pit. And we've been warned about this as adoptive parents. There's a deep anger that goes on when kids are not loved by their parents. There's a resentment. There's a bitterness. There's a deep hurt. There's a real insecurity that goes on there. God is stamped in the heart of kids. Little Caleb knows. He's not there. He's there. Little Caleb knows instinctively, mom and dad should be there for me. Kids know this. They should love me. And they feel wronged, and rightfully so, when they're not loved and cared for. So periodically, this comes pouring out of my daughter's life. This happened, I think, Monday morning or something. And here's what went on. It was the coolest picture. Cassie is just melting down and she's deeply sad and she cries in this unique way that Becky and I can know in a heartbeat that cry. And what happens is this. Mom's holding her. My wife is holding Cassie and just telling her it's okay. We love you. We're here for you. You belong in our family. And here's what started to happen. Our kids started to trickle in. And Briley, my eight-year-old daughter, came up 
and gave Cassie a hug. And then Tegan came and gave her a hug and a kiss. And then Curran, my oldest, came in and hugged her and kissed her. And then Ethan did the same. What are those four kids doing? What are mom and dad doing? You know what we're doing? We're bearing witness. We're testifying. You'll never be alone again. You're in a family now. It's okay. And what was powerful is that drew her out of this dark place, and she was okay. And guess what? That's not the last time she'll ever need it. She's going to need that poured into her over and over again. But you know what we're hoping and praying for? We're hoping that one day there's going to be such a security there that that won't really be an issue. She'll remember it, and it will probably be in there a little bit, but she'll go, man, I'm so glad so many times I've just been communicated over and over again that I'm in this family. They're not going anywhere. The Holy Spirit bears witness with your spirit. You belong You're claimed. You're in a family. I'm not going anywhere. And that's important because the result is that you are freed up to stop worrying about your own security and stop worrying about whether you're cared for or whether someone's with you in your trial. It frees you up to turn your attention elsewhere. The Spirit not only testifies about our adoption into God's family, the Spirit also testifies to the truth of the message and the works and the person of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 26. When the Counselor comes, he will testify about me. That's Jesus promising this to be true. The Holy Spirit is going to come. He's going to come from the Father. He's the Spirit of truth. But here's the catch. He will testify about me. That's what he will do. You know what the result of that Bearing witness is, is that spiritual insight is made possible. Not just for you and I, but for every single person we encounter. So the fact that the Spirit testifies to the fact that Jesus is who he says he was, is the only reason anyone in here today who's saved came to believe in the first place. That was a, that was a part of the work of the Holy Spirit giving life to your spirit. The other result is this, though. Every person you ever talk to and share Christ with, when you proclaim the gospel to someone, you're testifying, but so is the Holy Spirit. In fact, the only way that person is going to gain spiritual insight and understand what you're talking about or understand the significance of it or begin to see what's really happening in a spiritual realm is because the Holy Spirit of God is testifying to their spirit. So the Holy Spirit testifies about our being in the family. The Holy Spirit testifies to the truth about the message. Amparo, I want you to come up here for a moment. And um, I've asked Amparo to come and help me out with a little something. Uh, here's what I want to do. I've asked, I've asked Amparo to say something. And what I want you to do is, um, as soon as she's done speaking, if you believe uh, what she's saying to be true, I want you to stand to your feet. Okay? So stand up as soon as she's done speaking. And, um, and go ahead, Amparo. Jesucristo es nuestro Rey y nuestra salvación. Confiamos en Él. Un día Él va a regresar y nos llevará al cielo a vivir con Él por eternidad. Okay, stand up if you believe that to be true. Okay. All right, stay standing for just a moment. Go ahead and sit down. You, you stay standing. Now, I could really put you on the spot and ask you to recite back verbatim what she said to me. But here's the common denominator that should be present with everyone here. 
is that all of you have some understanding, probably a pretty decent understanding, of what language? Spanish. Okay? Go ahead and sit down. Here's, why, here's what I want you to catch from all of this. Beyond the testimony of Amparo getting up here and speaking some words, that's part of the equation, right? Here's the other part of the equation. You had to understand Spanish to get the, to get the message. If you didn't have knowledge of Spanish, then the testimony of Amparo, right over your head. You just say, huh? If you understood Spanish, but Amparo never said anything out loud, you wouldn't stand up and, and claim anything to be true because nothing was said. The mouthpiece is vitally important to this equation of getting the word out about what she said. By the way, what did she say, someone? Give me the gist of it. I won't. I won't. Jesus is king. What else? What? Christ is my salvation. And? What else? Okay, so yeah, that last part of him, one day he's coming back for his own, right? So with, with this message, that's, that's the gospel in essence, by the way. That, hey, there's a, there's a king, and that one day he's coming back. That's, that's basically what she was just testifying to. In this, in this picture, in this passage, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit of God will testify about me. You know what the Holy Spirit of God in this picture is? It's the knowledge of Spanish. Some of you got that. Some of you just didn't. But you also must testify about me. So the fact that words were spoken and you had the knowledge of Spanish, you were able to stand up and affirm, yes, this is true. The rest of us sat here and went, huh? Here's what I'm driving at. In the same way, those who hear the truth and get it, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. Some get it and some don't. The way she said it, it's not that some of you didn't get it because she didn't articulate her words very well or you didn't hear her. We all heard her, but some of you got it, some of you didn't. It's the same way with the gospel message. The miracle of a new Christian is they are given the ability to discern spiritual matters. It's a gift of the Spirit. They're born again. They're born of the Spirit. Just like some of you know Spanish, maybe you've been raised with nothing but Spanish and English. And so you said, yeah, I get that. But because you know Spanish, you were able to receive the message that she had. Here's the other catch or or point I want you to figure out. As disciples, you and I are unable to convince someone with facts alone. You and I are unable to convince someone of the truths of the gospel simply based on, on our passion. You and I are unable to convince people of the truth of the gospel by the incredibly clever way, an amazing PowerPoint we put together and present the message to that person. It's way more than facts alone. It's you testifying... And it's the Spirit testifying. And do you see how if you're a control freak, you're panicking right now? Guess what? It's not in your control. There's God's part. There's our part. Stick to your part. Let God do his. The crucial role in this is that Amparo got up here and said the words. Without her saying that, we never would have been able to even see who knows Spanish and who doesn't know Spanish. 
So when you share the gospel, you play an incredibly crucial part in this equation. And that's powerful that God left us as the church to proclaim the message of salvation, which is the gospel. It's the power of salvation unto everyone who believes. Finally, some will have ears to hear hear, and eyes to see, but most will not. That's quasi-true in this congregation. We had almost half and half, it looked like. But by and large, I knew that a minority of you would understand what Ampato was saying up here. The majority would sit there going, huh? That's the way it will be as you share the gospel message. You know this to be true. Our mission and the mission of the Holy Spirit is to testify about Jesus. It's a powerful concept. It's a powerful truth to grasp that you're on the same team as the Holy Spirit. Pulling in the same direction, trying to accomplish the very same thing. Some of you can think of of situations like this in your own life. But when, when the words and actions of other people, which is an external kind of a witness, you see someone live a certain way, say a certain thing, and, and, and all of that's going on, when that lines up with circumstances, thoughts, feelings, things that are happening with you internally, God has a way of taking those and at just the right moment lining those up to where you go, I get it. And it's a powerful thing when in your own spirit, before you've repented, before you've chosen to receive the gift of eternal life by trusting in Jesus Christ, God's working on you. And you just go, man, these things were happening, circumstances were happening, and God brought this person to my life. You didn't talk that way before you became a Christian, but afterwards, looking back, you could see how it all lined up. It was the testimony of that person, whether life or words, and the testimony in my own spirit and the testimony of the Word of God that suddenly started to come together and coalesce into this thing where I just, my, it's like a veil was taken off my eyes and I could see for the very first time. That's what Jesus, I think, is talking about when in John 3, Jesus is saying this, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of the water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear the sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. And then he says this, so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. There's a mystical sense to this, guys, that we'll never get our heads around. We'll never be able to quantify, figure out the right algorithm and go, okay, I figured out God. Here's how he works and moves. He's a creative creator God. And just like Jesus healed almost never the same way twice, the way he moves and brings truth to people's life, you never know what the Holy Spirit is doing on your behalf as you're working together. And it's an incredible partnership. I want to speak just... A little pastoral word to parents here for just a moment. And if you don't have kids yet, you may have them someday, so listen up. I think with, with kids, and this is something you can hold me accountable to. I'm preaching to myself here. I have kids. But we as parents need to be warning our children of the opposition that will come and that is out there in the world toward Christians. Not in a bizarre, sectarian way where we're going to pull them and try to shelter them from it. We do a huge disservice to anyone when we say, come follow Jesus, your life gets better. Is that true? Eventually, yes. Maybe after you die. For sure after you die. But odds are, your life will get worse. Worse. 
you'll start to be in conflict where you were never in conflict before, both internally with sin and growing in righteousness and with almost every single person that you meet. You might be estranged from family members. You for sure will be mocked and insulted. You for sure will stand out from the crowd. Warn your kids of the opposition that's coming. Lest they be like the seed that quickly sprouts up and says, yeah, I believe that. But the second hardship comes, they're gone. They're out of there. Jesus is warning his kids, so to speak, his friends, his disciples, so that they will not be ensnared, some of your translations say. So they will not stumble. So they won't be disillusioned once they leave high school and walk away from the church never to return again, like so many Christian Americans do. And I use the term Christian very loosely there. What have we as a church, what have we as a community of faith, what are we in our families doing to equip and to warn our kids of the oncoming opposition that will face them if they choose to follow Jesus Christ? Don't just leave it at warning. Though. Look what Jesus says. He warns them, but he encourages them. You'll never, ever be alone. The Spirit of God will be with you always. Sometimes as a parent, I feel tempted to want to be with them always. I always knew the day was coming where I couldn't be with them always. But if I parented in such a way that, that their good choices always leaned on me being there, that their safety always leaned on me being there, I've done them a disservice. Because the day is coming when I won't be there. So who am I really trying to get them to fall in love with? Who am I really trying to get them to trust? Who am I really trying to get them to run to first when trials come? Because they will come. I want it to be God. I want to even start that long before they're out of my care, long before they're out of my protection and the ability to step in and assist them through something. So warn your kids and empower your kids. One of the big ideas of this curriculum that we've got with Kids Studio that I absolutely love is this idea that we have a really, really big God. And he can handle everything and anything that comes in your life for the rest of your life. That's one of the big things that Jeff and Hannah and all of the children's workers are trying to communicate. We serve a huge God. We want to give you an accurate picture of this God of wonder that's huge and that you can trust. That's a great message because that's, that's empowering to a kid. Our children need to see us handle adversity. Our children need to see us witness even when we don't have all the pieces, we don't have the guarantee that they're going to be led to the Lord, but you just bear witness. I guarantee you, if you start to witness, if you start to speak words of the gospel to people, you will receive open hostility at some point. How do you handle that? Do you drive away and say, man, I had way better arguments than that person? And or do you drive away going, man, I think I'm more like Christ today than I was yesterday. Because they did the same thing to my Lord who I'm following. I watched my dad witness to people. And what used to embarrass me at some point in high school became a source of great pride where I thought, man, this guy really loves Jesus. Or else he wouldn't be doing that. Because he keeps getting shot down and shot down and shot down. But he keeps on testifying. 
I promised I would illustrate this with scripture and a story. We're going to do that right now. As Jesus is talking here, this is just such a timely warning and encouragement because later on that night, catch this, at the very first sniff of persecution, and it wasn't really even leveled at them as disciples, it was leveled at Jesus. What did the disciples do? Gone. More words of Jesus that were predicted earlier in their years together that came true. Matthew 26, Jesus predicted that the striking of the shepherd himself would do what to the sheep? It'd scatter them. Gone. To the point where Peter's denying and, and people are hiding out and people are running for their life. What a difference once the Spirit came on them. What a difference once the Spirit filled them. And that's why Jesus said, you wait for that Spirit to come. Turning your Bibles to Acts chapter 5 for a moment. Acts chapter 5 is, just contextually, this is um, not that much longer after this night that they're, that they're talking here. The church has been born. And starting in verse 17, I want to just kind of paint the picture for you a little bit. This is the early church. And the apostles know that they're to witness. They're remembering these words Jesus said. The Holy Spirit's going to testify about me, but you testify about me also. By the way, you'll be hated for it. Let me pick up in verse, um, in verse 17. And as we go through here, I want to point out a couple of things here. Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. This is because the apostles had been healing. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. Uh, verse 19, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the door of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. Whoops. So they went back and reported, We found the jail security locked with the guards standing at the door. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled. Yeah, I guess so. Wondering what, could come, what, what would come of this. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. And I'll stop there. The story goes on. I want to point out a couple of things. Was there hostility and open opposition? Yeah. The only time they showed restraint was because they feared a riot or they feared problems coming on them. But they jailed them. And they, they came on them. Verse 39, at the very end of this, it says, but it is from God. Oh, this is a, a guy that, that stands up. And he says, let's, let's let this one go. If this is really from God, we find ourselves working against it. You'll not only find yourselves fighting, uh, you, you will only find yourselves fighting against God. Remember in this passage, Jesus talks about 
with our passage today is he says, those who kill you will think they're doing a service to God. Religious zeal has caused untold amounts of turmoil and pain in this world throughout the, the history of mankind. How about, how about suffering? Was there suffering going on and were the disciples braced for it? Verse 21 says, at daybreak they entered the, entered the temple courts. As they had been told, they began to teach the people. You know what this shows me? shows me that when opposition came, unlike what Jesus said, he said, I'm telling you this right now so you won't stumble, so you won't scatter, so you won't run away. Remember what they did when Jesus was persecuted that night in the garden? They scattered. Now they have the Holy Spirit. They're different men. As soon as they're released from jail, the angel says, go do the same thing you were just arrested for and put in jail and beat. Go do that again. They said, okay. They just did exactly what they were told. So they went to the most public place and kept preaching the gospel. They didn't think this time, oh, they'll probably be forgiving the second time around. No. They knew what was coming. They were braced for it. They were ready for it. And finally, tag team ministry. Look at verse 32. Verse 32 says this. We are witnesses of these things. This is Peter talking. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. You're in partnership with the Holy Spirit. He's appealing to people's spiritual side, saying, we're saying this, but those of you who speak Spanish, you get this. There's a spiritual testimony going on here. I want to invite Rhonda to come on up. I've asked Rhonda to write some things out because she shared some things that have gone on in her life of late that speak to this so clearly. John 16, 13 says this, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. And as we've been going kind of through this series, uh, Rhonda has just been sharing some things. And um, I just asked her, I said, Rhonda, would you write down some of what you uh, have been going through so that we as a, as a congregation can, can hear your story a little bit? So, Rhonda, take it away. Okay, I'm going to read this. Um, okay, over the past couple months, the teaching of Dave and Ben have been, um, have been going or doing on the book of John has been really applicable to my life. Um, not too long ago, I was invited by a friend to an open house in a church in our area. And this church was one of the reformed variety of that particular religion, where although they practiced certain traditions, all religious, uh, all religions were welcome and considered a path to God. The purpose of the open house really was for people to come and ask questions and learn more about their religions and the traditions that they celebrate. So after attending the service, there was a reception of sort where you could ask more questions. And most of the questions that evening were directed at their tradition. Although I had great interest in understanding their tradition, I also had a lot of questions about their views on heaven, sin, and salvation. As I began to ask these questions, a crowd came to gather around me until there were about six or seven people now joining in on the conversation. Even the leadership of the church was there. But when the conversation came to the discussion of sin and salvation, the environment turned to hostility. The fact that I believe that Jesus was the only way to heaven and that he alone could make payment for our sins was very offensive to them. Ironically, the church who seemingly accepted all views and religious beliefs did so excluding one, and that was believing in Jesus as the only way. 
The persecution that followed was being called, um, I, was, I was called arrogant for believing I held the only truth. Um, I was told I must be a very lonely person. They don't know what kind of fellowship we have as believers. Um, and I was being equated to actually Hitler. Uh, it was apparent that I was not welcome there as long as I held the belief that Jesus was the only way. I told them that I could not be just politically correct and say that all religions lead to heaven if my very Lord and Savior, Jesus, claimed that, the way, that he was the way, the truth, and the life. I would be denying my own faith. At first, I was surprised that I could be attacked in such a way, especially from the leadership of the church. It was a, I was a bit shook up, not expecting that response. But it was amazing the comments seemed to come over me that could only be explained by the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. In and of myself, I would not have been able to recall certain truths or present them clearly if it wasn't for the power of the Holy Spirit work within me. Normally, in these types of situations, I become very nervous. My teeth chatters. I shake. Um, even just with talking with one person about Christ, um, often I, I become very nervous. Um, it was amazing that, um, you know, with six to seven people surrounding me in a very hostile environment, that, um, that God gave me the calm that I needed to get through it. And so when it was all over, I could barely get to sleep that night. <laughs> but at the moment that I knew him the most, the Holy Spirit was there to guide me each step of the way. Afterwards, I have to admit that I dealt with some bitterness about how I was treated. But even in all that, God has used this event in my life to grow me. I've been challenged to pray for them whenever I think of what happened and praying that in some way God will use it um, in their life. I feel that my response um, and kindness towards those who are being hostile to me could be a witness to them of the love of Christ. And just as God has asked us to love those who hate us. Also, it was a testimony to my friend as to how I responded to those that she even acknowledged were treating me unkindly. It was open. It even opened up further discussions with her uh, about Christ and God. All of this, I believe, would never have happened or it just turned out the way it did um, if I had not been originally been, as Ben was talking, and plugged into the vine. Um, over the past seven months, I've been fairly consistent in getting up early and praying and getting in the Word. This has been a discipline in my life that I've never been able to keep for such a long period of time. But I've come to create this time with the Lord. It's become a lifeline for me. And uh, when I get that time with them, I'm more open for the opportunities that come my way to share the hope that I have within me. It's because I'm accessing that power of the Holy Spirit that is promised to those who believe in Him. And it has been life-changing for me. Each day I submit my life and my will over to Him to do as He sees fit. And I pray for direction for that day, for that moment. And each time I make the choice to follow His direction, I desire to learn and grow more. Hey, can you guys just thank thank Rhonda? If you're if you're a Christian and you don't have regular moments of just going, no way, that is crazy. 
then I, I, would, say you're, I would say you're missing out on things. There are times that uh, Cal and Jim and I will call each other with these kinds of moments going, you are not going to believe what just happened. And yet you will believe. I mean, so it's weird. It's like we just, you come to expect this. When Rhonda started to share some of these things, I'm just going, that's exactly where we're at in the scriptures. You're illustrating exactly what Jesus said would happen. And here's the Spirit showing up in your time of need. I want to close with this. How on earth did Jesus do it? How on earth did Jesus endure what he endured? He came like no one else. He loved like no one else. He poured out and poured out and poured out and received almost nothing. Twelve guys, in a way, is what he had to show for it. He suffered betrayal, the deepest and closest kind. He was suffered physically like few people, if anyone ever has, and emotionally and spiritually for sure like no one else has. I would submit to you this, Matthew 3.16, he did it because the Spirit rested on him. Matthew 3.16, this is at his baptism. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Let me show you something from the New Testament that's really, really powerful. How do you and I do it? How do you press on in the face of opposition? Rhonda did not go to this with an agenda. You will not have to have an agenda anywhere you go. It will come to you. As long as you don't deny the faith, as long as you walk through doors of opportunity to just speak about your Lord and King that you say you believe about, it will come to you. I can guarantee that because Jesus guaranteed that. Here's how you can do it. 1 Peter 4.14 If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the Spirit of glory is... And of God rests on you. You wonder how you're going to get through. You wonder how you're going to be a witness the way that you should. It's based on the Spirit. The Spirit has come. We're now, we're now able to look forward. Jesus was promising it. It's going to come. That's been fulfilled. The Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. And now at the moment of conversion, the Spirit comes and rests on those who trust and obey. It's that simple. Which means that you can have courage. You can display mercy. You can and do have hope. You are able to forgive supernaturally. You are able to persevere. None of this do you have on your own. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a result of the fact that the Holy Spirit resides on you. I want to invite the band to come on back up and they're going to close with a song and then we'll dismiss. Let me end by reading a passage I'm going to put on the screen in a moment. But when our attention turns out, it stops being focused on us and our identity and our need for reassurance and our problems. Let Let me now throw out the names that we've already heard about the Holy Spirit and I want you to think about these names and how important they are, not for you, and your circumstances, but for people who aren't sitting in this room today, for people who aren't in fellowship with Jesus. 
What does it do to the names and the meaning of the Holy Spirit when you think about a helper? Not a helper to your problems and your issues and all the things you need. It's not about you anymore. Let's put it out there. He's called the helper. He's called the advocate. One who comes alongside and makes a case for that person. He's called a counselor. He's called the spirit of truth. Do your co-workers, your family members, your neighbors need a helper, a counselor, an advocate, and the spirit of truth? Look at this verse. Romans 10. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on Him to save them unless they believe in Him? And how can they believe in Him if they've never heard about Him? And how can they hear about Him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the Scriptures say, How beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. But not everyone welcomes the good news. For Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from hearing, that is, hearing the good news about Christ. I'll leave you with this and then we'll sing. Testify loudly. Not obnoxiously, but loudly. Testify loudly knowing that you'll face opposition and knowing that you'll have help, that you're part of a tag team ministry. Let's pray. God, we have barely touched on the surface of who you are and what you're about and how you work. And we accept that today, God. We trust you. I pray for our people in this room that you'd move in this place. We confess we are not tapping in to all the encouragement and all the strengthening that you have promised. I pray that you'd move in our hearts and lives in such a way that we wouldn't just pray for opportunities, but we would seek them out. And that we'd boldly and confidently step forward and watch you work and move in us. We know that it will be part of your purifying process on us as we place ourselves in situations like Rhonda was talking about. Deny the faith, water it down, step away from opposition, or proclaim simply and confidently that Jesus Christ is the way home to the Father. That there's salvation in no other name but Jesus Christ. And Lord, that we would confront people in their sin. That message confronts people in their sin. It forces them to deal with it. And that's awkward. That gets people riled up. Increasingly, we see in our culture and nation, it draws sharp opposition. This morning as we sing right now, we're remembering that people's hearts around this entire globe have been captured by the love of Jesus Christ. And today, right now, 
People are in hard labor. Families are without their father. Churches are without their pastor. But we know that prisons and rusty chains and mind-altering drugs are no match for the Holy Spirit. So would you strengthen and encourage our brothers and sisters to persevere and to stay strong. And like Rhonda was talking about, to just simply and boldly proclaim this message of life. We love you and praise you this morning. Amen.